thanks everyone for joining our community call. I'm your host, Ariel, and we have a very special guest here, uh, Jamie from the Perpetual Protocol. Jamie, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, my name is Jamie. I work with uh, Perpetual Protocol. Um, I've been working with them since uh, January this year. I've um, always been involved in content in one way or another in the crypto industry for the past four or five years. Um, yeah, and uh, just really into like the trading side, financial side of things. Uh, yeah, that's just a quick overview. Awesome. I'm glad you, you could join us today. Um, yep. All right, to be so here. let's go to... Yeah, same here. So let's go through the agenda for today. Uh, first, I'm going to quickly explain what is the, the perpetual protocol. Uh, and I'll be providing also Jamie some room so he can uh, explain and complement what I'm saying. Uh, then we can quickly go through the perp tokenomics. Um, I'm also going to discuss some recent tokenomics updates that they launched, which are pretty interesting. <clears throat> and then uh, our final uh, slide will be about value creation and value capture, which is pretty much uh, a summary of what we'll discuss in the, the previous topics. And then we will save some time in the end for a Q&A. So uh, if you have any questions while me or, or Jamie are presenting, feel free to send them on the chat. But I would ask you that uh, to hold off for opening your mic until we reach the, the Q&A section just to keep this meeting organized. All right, so let's get going. Um, so what is Perpetual? Perpetual is a decentralized exchange, meaning that you know their, their users have self-custody over their assets uh, in, in contrast to centralized exchanges where you know the exchange is actually holding your tokens for you. Uh, and the main products that they offer are perpetual futures and leverage. So I included the image of the Chicago Board of Trade here, even though it has nothing to do with crypto, <clears throat> because uh, the Chicago Board of Trade was the, the first place where people could trade future contracts. Um, and a brief, very brief uh, comment on the history of futures, they were developed to help uh, mainly agriculturers, agriculturers protect from price fluctuations. So, you know, they, uh, let's say you're uh, planting wheat and the price is volatile. It, you have no certainty of what the price will be when you're actually able to sell your wheat. So you can use futures as a way to uh, guarantee a stable income. And that was the, the first you know, use case for futures, but they are also used for speculation. So this first use case would be hedging and the second one speculation. And yeah, I'd be happy to provide some, some details if you know you guys are not familiar with futures. Uh, and then futures in the traditional markets, they are time bound, meaning that they have an expiration date. And the time component is important because you know, whenever the, the future contract is reaching the expiration date, it tends to converge with the spot price, which is the, the price of the actual asset. 
but in the case of perpetual futures, they are perpetual because they don't have this expiration date and they are exclusive to crypto markets. There are no perpetual futures in TradFi. Uh, and so to make sure that the future price is convergent to the spot price, uh, what these protocols like Perpetual will do is that they will have a funding rate, which is the this image right here, which I took from the Perpetual console. Um, and what the uh, the sorry the funding rate does is it incentivizes traders to take on the least popular side on the market. So, for example, right here, uh, we're looking the one hour rate for the the Bitcoin future contracts in Perpetual. So, whenever that goes below zero, it means that uh, the the future price is below the spot price. So whoever is taking a short position is paying for people that are taking a long position. And whenever the funding rate is above zero, then it's the opposite. So uh, shorts are paying longs. Um, and that, you know, by through this incentive, uh, you, you have, you are able to incentivize the convergence between the future price and the spot price. And the second product is leverage. I think leverage is uh, more straightforward to understand, but I also included a, an image that I thought was good. So leverage is pretty much you add some collateral uh, or some money to be simpler in the platform. So let's say if you have if you had a 500 to one leverage ratio, you could add $500 and trade into $250,000. Uh, so yeah, you can trade more than you you actually added and for perpetual they allow you to trade up to 10x leverage So if I add $1 in the exchange, I can trade up to $10 for example and the third component uh, Which is I think really interesting from perpetual is their builder ready composability so Perpetual allows other protocols or projects to build with their tools. Um, Jamie, do you want to explain a bit more about the composability? Because I think that's the <clears throat> trickiest one to understand, at least for me. Right, yeah. So <clears throat> the best way to think about it is like Perpetual Protocol is trying to build like a, a DeFi Lego for Perpetuals, right? So that other projects can build on top of this. So you know, we're not just offering like people a venue to trade perpetual futures, but also um, because the code is like open sourced and because we've built on the, the optimism layer two, that means we have this great feature of composability, which basically means that, you know, other projects can come in and build directly on top of our product, uh, directly on top of our protocol. So one good example is, um, is Galleon and IndexCoop. So, these two projects create structured products and basically the way they use perpetual is to create like a, a basis trading product. So what it's doing basically is extracting the funding rate uh, with a delta neutral position. So basically they're not, they're not taking a direction in the market. So it doesn't matter whether the market goes up or down. So basically what they're doing is they're providing their users with like a small, low risk, but kind of stable yield based on these, uh, based on the funding rate. So what they're doing basically is, um, going 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 short or long on on the asset based on the funding rate and then in the spot market doing the opposite so yeah they're basically just extracting uh, the funding rate for their users and uh, just providing like a 
like a low yield but it's kind of stable yield at the same time so that's just one example but there's there's countless other examples so uh that you know there's a metaverse called atlantis world and they've they've built they've built pub directly into the application as well so you can go into the metaverse and enter the building enter our building and then uh, take trades in, in inside the metaverse basically so yeah so composability is basically the best way to think about it is like that it's a building block of DeFi and for perpetual protocol, the building block is perpetual futures and you can build like count, countless things on top. So it could be like structured products, could be could be, could be like data analytics platforms, could be could be a wide range of things. But yeah, that that's what we really focus on is composability because what 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 we're trying to achieve with that is that basically we're building this ecosystem where perp is used under the hood as the base layer. So instead of just like trying to attract users to our exchange we're also building this ecosystem and um you know once this ecosystem as it grows more and more we're bringing more users into perp and they they don't even know they're using perp so if they're using one of these structured uh, structured products for example um they might they might not even be aware that they're actually using perp like that as the base like as the base layer so that's really the aim of that is just to build like a vibrant ecosystem of different projects who can build directly on top of us because we're open source and composable and yeah that's that's basically the vision yeah that's pretty cool and uh, so just to try and summarize a little bit i think one uh, use case is like this structure products thing where you would i think but at least as i understand it you know you can design a, a smart contract or something of the kind to trade on perpetual and you just offer the product of those trades to, to customers so they are not even seeing perpetual uh, on the back end or you could just integrate the exchange in the, the metaverse as you said. Um, you think that's a, a good way to summarize? Yeah, yeah. The, you know, there's, there's loads of examples that could go through but um, yeah, the, those are the two that come to mind for me is like structured products. And then just like alternative front ends and yeah, just different ways of accessing the protocol, um, you know. But yeah, but the main focus for us is like structured product uh, vaults as well because that that brings mm -hmm. in brings in retail, brings in uh, other investors. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like the main focus. Great. All right, so so moving on here, uh, let's talk a bit about perp tokenomics. So. I think the first thing to note is that uh, perpetual token, which is called PERP, uh, is a governance token. So you're not actually using the PERP token on the exchange. Uh, to use the exchange, you can deposit, I think, four different tokens as collateral. Uh, you can deposit yep. USDC, FREX, uh, Ethereum, or OP. Is that right? <clears throat> yep, that's correct. Yeah, that's our multi-collateral feature, and those are currently the supported assets awesome so yeah uh, just to exemplify a little bit let's use usdc as an example so a user could deposit usdc on the exchange uh, then since they offer leverage trading they have this smart contract called the clearinghouse it automatically means 10 times the the amount you deposited in virtual usdc tokens if you deposit USDC and but that's up to the user to decide whether they're they're going to use it or not but it just makes it available mm -hmm. uh, and then all the the trades in the protocol happen using this virtual token uh, system 
So let's say I want to long Bitcoin, then I would trade my virtual USDC tokens for virtual Bitcoin. And whenever I want to close my position, then I sell my virtual Bitcoin and can convert the virtual USDC into USDC again. So in the end, the trades are settled in USDC and your profit or loss will be also denominated in this uh, token. And the, the clearinghouse also uh, managed the, the liquidity provision in the platform. So it's pretty much the same thing that I just described. If an LP uh, is providing liquidity, they'll deposit USDC and then that's gonna be turned into virtual tokens and they, they can deposit into the, the pool of their choice. Could be a Bitcoin pool or I don't know, a PERP pool, uh, you name it. But uh, this virtual, this exchange for virtual tokens is always happening and is always managed by the clearinghouse smart contract. Um, and so, as I, I had mentioned, you know, they offer futures, the leverage trading. I, I can talk a little bit more about the, the token pools in a, a later slide, just to focus the attention on the overall tokenomics. Um, and so, okay, let's go to, to the PERP token. So as you can see here in the, the trading and liquidity provision, the PERP token is not involved. Uh, the PERP token comes up when we're talking about the perpetual DAO. So in the Genesis supply, the perpetual protocol allocated about 55% of the tokens issued, which were 150 million to the perpetual DAO's treasury. And to govern over the treasury, then you need the PERP token. So uh, as I, I mentioned in, in the start, they recently introduced some updates to their tokenomics, <clears throat> which are mainly the voting escrow PERP or VE PERP, which is similar to the, the circle model where you lock your tokens and you get some tokens back and then you would need that to, to vote on governance proposals. But before that, I think you just needed to stake the tokens, then you would be uh, eligible to, to vote on governance proposals and actually decide how these funds will be allocated. So I'll uh, provide some more details on VPERP and also let Jamie comment on it on, in the next slide, uh, just to make sure that we can get to everything here. and. Besides, I think the other cool thing about the, the VPERP introduction is that they are starting to, to distribute rewards to users. So by locking tokens, you are become eligible to referral rewards and you also earn a, a portion of the trading fees from the platform. And I guess maybe the, the other two things to note are the liquidity mining rewards. So uh, Perpetual incentivizes LPs to provide liquidity to certain pools. Uh, and I think the rewards depend a, a bit on the pool. Like if they need more liquidity to that one, you probably earn more rewards. Uh, but LPs uh, become eligible to, to earn either PERP or OP tokens uh, through this, this mechanism. Um, and I guess the last thing to note here is the insurance fund. So currently 20% of the trading fees generated in the protocol go to the insurance fund. 
which has the main goal of uh, maintaining the, the protocol solvency. So since they have products like leverage, uh, it's important to make sure that, you know, in case a, a trade, a trader is not able to cover his margin, that the protocol has some kind of funds to, to cover that and avoid, you know, systemic risk uh, in the end. So that's the, the main goal of the insurance fund. Um, so moving to the next slide, and here I'll finally provide some more details on the voting scroll. So as I mentioned, uh, actually let's go through the, the mechanism first. So the, the, I think, at least as I understand it, the main reason that you would want a voting escrow in your protocol is to avoid, uh, you know, people just buying tokens in the market and being able to shift uh, voting governance votes in their direction because there's not like you're not necessarily uh, incentivizing your long-term long holders if you don't have a, a voting escrow because you know you just need to have the tokens at the time you're voting uh, whereas if you have a voting escrow as perpetual is still implementing i think they they completed the initial phase but they have a lot of plans to complement that uh, then you provide <clears throat> weights also based on the amount of time that these tokens will be locked. So I think this table uh, in the, the left corner is pretty helpful to illustrate what I'm saying. So in here you have two columns. In the first, someone is locking 10,000 for 52 weeks. And in the second column, they're locking 10,000 for 26 weeks. And so as you can see that, um, like the in the second row here, the first week of your unweighted V perp. So that's how much they have. It's like a, a soft amount, let's say, because they, even though they provided 10,000, since the, the weights also take into account how much weeks uh, are left, then in the unweighted V perp, uh, the person that locked for 52 weeks will have the double uh, as the, the person that locked for 26 weeks. And that means they would also have double the, the voting power. And they also earn double the rewards as the versus the, the 26 weeks person. So I think this table is helpful to understand that, you know, if you're a long-term believer in the project and you lock it for the, the maximum number of weeks, which is 52, then you get, get extra rewards and extra voting power. And that, I think the goal here is to hopefully uh, let the long-term believers in the project to determine where the, the governance voting is going to go. And uh, by, to do that, you provide some, some incentives through the, the voting escrow. And in this graph, in the, the right corner, just illustrates how the unweighted VPERP uh, decreases over time as, you know, your uh, lockup period starts to expire. So if I locked for 52 weeks, then my, the unweighted VPERP uh, is decreasing until reaching zero. So when it reaches zero, it means that my, my tokens will be unlocked then uh, I have the exact amount that I, I locked plus my rewards, which I would have to, to relock on the protocol to, 
to get extra voting power for these rewards. Um, Jamie, do you, you want to comment a bit on you know your ideas in introducing voting the voting escrow and how it's been going so far? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> I think I'll touch on the governance aspects first, because um, that's kind of like the easiest to understand, right? So basically, um, mm -hmm. what, what the reason for introducing the the V token model is that you know that with normal governance tokens, the old governance uh, kind of tokenomics. So they're actually like susceptible to like attacks, right? Because you know someone with with a large amount of funds can just like get a loan or buy a bunch of tokens, and like all the course of, of the protocol by voting and governance, like they, they their their um, incentives may not necessarily be aligned with that of the protocol. So with with the lock in and the V token and V perk model, it's like people who are really like uh, you know really believe in the protocol and uh, they contribute the most or they're active. They actually have more of a say in governance because when you lock your perp, um, they're, they're, we use a weighted model for the governance vote. So that basically means if you locked ten thousand perp, you'd receive forty thousand perp in uh, voting power. So it actually boosts your governance voting power. Whereas for the um, for the rewards, like for for like lazy river rewards and referral rewards and that kind of stuff, um, it's actually based on the unweighted balance as that table shows. So. If you lock it for the maximum amount of time, you get the same amount of VE perp. But if you lock for, like, say, you know, 26 weeks, which is half the maximum time, you only get half the amount of the perp that you lock. But then, obviously, once the lock is lock time is done, you receive your perp back the same amount. But it's just that the VE perp balance uh, declines over time. So that that encourages people to lock for longer and lock lock more tokens. So yeah, the other thing to mention is the uh, is the reward programs. So Basically, the, the VPERP token is linked in with certain reward programs. So the first one was the referral program. So the more VPERP you own, the higher the share of the referred volume. Um, basically, you get like a, a rebate on all, all the referred, referred volume done by all referral partners. So basically, um, it doesn't matter how much volume you refer. If you lock more and more PERP and have a higher VPERP balance, you'll get a higher share of that referred volume. And then secondly is the uh, the Lazy River, which is our staking model. It's like an improved version of our staking model, which is on optimism. So basically what happens there is that um, we're incentivizing people to lock up um, into VE perp by offering weekly rewards in perp tokens. So what this does, it kind of sets the stage for our USDC fee distribution. So eventually we'll be sharing 10% um, of the trading fees directly to VE perp holders. But uh, until that feature is ready, we're actually going to share the same amount, so 10% of the, of, the, of the trading fees uh, every week. But instead of in USDC, we're actually sharing it now in uh, liquid perp tokens. So yeah, if you lock into a VPERP, uh, every week you can claim some rewards. And uh, yeah, you can do whatever you want with those perp tokens. You can either lock them or sell them or you know, hold them. But um, yeah, the idea is basically to, uh, to incentivize people to, to start locking up and you're taking that chunk uh, like a big chunk out of the supply. It's not circulating, so it's not something you can exit, you can't transfer, you can't sell it. So what this does basically is, uh, you know, it's, it's building an ecosystem. Like if, if you see uh, Curve, Curve is like uh, the project that introduced the VE tokenomics and made it popular. And they've built like a really vibrant ecosystem uh, based on this tokenomic model. But also at the same time, it's supporting uh, the growth of the protocol as well, because we're locking up the supply and uh, you know, as demand is increasing, that should have a positive influence on the price over time. 
And then, yeah, the, the final thing I'll just mention is that, yeah, the VPUP, it's like a, the move to the VE tokenomics and VPUP is like a gradual process. So as I've mentioned, we've already implemented it for <clears throat> for the referral program and we're getting ready to um, to launch the USDC, uh, USDC fee sharing in a few months. Also, uh, there also be uh, we'll also integrate the VPUP model into liquidity mining as well, because because at the moment um, it's it's not really linked up in that part of the model, but that's that's another direction that we're going to head down as well. So yeah, that's that's all I want to say about that part. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for this summary. I think it was great. Um, so yeah, just to summarize a little bit everything that we discussed today. I think the value creation uh, of the perpetual protocol is, you know, they're offering very robust financial products such as leverage and futures and provide deep liquidity for traders. Um, they also allow market making. Uh, there's the composability component that we discussed. Uh, and as Jamie mentioned, they are deployed on optimism. So that helps to optimize the the gas fees that the protocol is paying. So they're paying the you know, very much lower gas fees because they deploy it on layer two. Uh, and they're also using Uniswap V3 liquidity pools. So they offer composability and Perpetual themselves are composing on top of another DeFi money legal, which is uh, the Uniswap V3 liquidity pool. Uh, and I, I won't get into the details of the explanation because I think it's a bit complex. Uh, but if anyone, you know, has this question, then we can discuss in the Q&A section, which is the, the next slide. And for value capture, the, the main mechanism to capture value is the trading fees, which is a, a flat fee of 0.1%. Uh, these fees accrue to the traders and to the liquidity providers. And I think one interesting aspect of the value capture will be the USDC yield switch uh, when they will distribute the, you know, this part of the trading fees to, to stakeholders in USDC. So that greatly increases yield quality. Um, all right. So I'm going to get into the Q&A section. I see that there are two questions in the chat already. Uh, Mason, do you feel your question was answered by in Jamie's explanation, or would you like to to come up and and ask again? Yeah, I, I guess uh, partially right. I mean, um, but uh, so currently, one thing that wasn't clear to me: so the USDC fee switch uh, is that obviously that's not in place yet. But what is what are fees paid in currently if it's not in USDC? Or if right, right, yeah. yeah, I can answer that. So <clears throat> at the moment, uh, the trading fees, 80% go to the liquidity providers and then 20% goes to the insurance fund. But um, yeah, as I mentioned, the Lazy River Initiative is like setting the stage for the USD fee distribution. So it's not actually taken out of the fees, but we're just paying out of like emissions of PERP. So basically 10% of the trading fees are paid out in uh, in liquid PERP tokens to VPERP or locked PERP holders. But um, in the future, once the USDC uh, fee switch is activated, then uh, LPs will continue to get 80% of the fees. 10% uh, will go to the Treasury DAO, and uh, the final 10% will go to VPERP or locked PERP holders. 
Um, so in April, we had a governance vote to decide the parameters of like how much goes to the Treasury DAO and how much goes to the PERP holders. So um, yeah, in, in the future, that could change for a governance vote. So, you know, the PERP holders might want to vote for like a higher percentage. Um, but yeah, that would have to be done for a governance vote. But yeah, that's the basic overview. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Cool, cool, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I missed it or not, but like the, so I guess the perp issuance currently, does that, uh, as in if you sort of have the perp, does that have any influence on the issuance? Uh, just sort of comparing it to like Curve's model, where you look up Curve and you can sort of have a say on, on issuance. Right, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 um, that sort of, I think that would be related to like the liquidity mining aspect, so that part is not introduced yet, so. I think the uh -huh. plan is to um, once you once we incorporate liquidity mining into like the VPUT model, it would be like um, you get to decide similar to Curve, you know, like where, where the most most of the rewards, which markets they go to. So if you provide liquidity to the ETH market, for example, um, you'd vote for ETH, and then you you can like direct the emissions and the rewards that way. I see. Cool. And like currently, it's just just a standard uh, liquidity mining program, right? Like uh time-based emissions type thing right yeah, yeah it depends on how long uh your liquidity is active for at the moment and uh you obviously you earn the fees but you also earn some rewards in the op tokens and perp tokens but i think um yeah the, the rewards will be like i think they'll be boosted actually um based on like v perp you hold so i don't think it'll be exactly like the curve emission model i think it's, it's still it's still under like it's still in the work so the DL is not yeah. finalized yet, but we will be incorporating like the VPUP and linking it to um, liquidity mining as well. And that kind of, with the fee switch as well, that will like complete the, the whole transition. Nice. Awesome. Thanks. No problem. Thanks for your question. All right. We had another question on the chat uh, by Richa, but it seems that she left. So, does anyone want to to ask another question? Then I, I could just you know respond to that first. Yeah. Um, hey, Jamie. Um, could you? So I've I, I'm somewhat familiar with leverage trading, and um, I know Ariel has already kind of outlined what the insurance fund is for. But could you explain it with an example? Because I honestly don't really understand how there can be a situation where you need the insurance fund. Um, I guess it's with it something to do with high volatility and like um, liquidations can happen, but then the collateral is already gone. Like, I don't, I don't really understand because technically you shouldn't be able to bet more than you have collateral for, right? Right, yeah. Um, so I think the best way to think about it is kind of like, um, like a backstop, right? So you need you need to pay out people if they're in profit right so where does the money come from right it, it should come from the losses from other traders right or the losses of the liquidity providers but if there's a situation where the the profits can't get paid out because because there's not enough liquidity or the, you know there's not there's not enough variety in the, in the number of traders that they're, they're not taking different directions or if everyone's long for example then the insurance fund is there just to make sure that uh, everyone can be paid out, um, their profits can be paid out um, when they close their positions. So yeah, basically it's like a it's like a backup mechanism, just in case like the the funds in the clearinghouse are not enough to pay out everyone. 
Um, yeah, it's, it, it can get quite technical and DL because there's other mechanisms at play as well because uh, you also have this kind of like auto deleveraging as well. You know, if, if there's not enough money to pay out the profits, then, you know, people's, uh, their leverage positions will have to get reduced like by a certain amount like, and then you'd have to pay out a partial, like a partial profit. But yeah, the insurance fund is just like the worst case scenario. Um, yeah, if you think about like the mango hack, or not hack really, but it was an exploit. Like the, the insurance fund there, I'm not sure if they had an insurance fund, but yeah, if, it's basically for like situations like that, really like edge cases or like really, you know, worst case scenarios. It's just there to to like um, provide like a buffer and, uh, you know, make sure everything runs smoothly if there's like a big, there's like a big event or, you know, something bad happens or yeah, that's, that's basically the way to think about it. Cool. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, and you can also um, check out our docs as well. Like um, we explain all of these things in the docs. So um, I think there's a page dedicated to the insurance fund to just you know, basically explain what it's there for and how it works. All right. So yeah, I think we can end this section. Uh, I want to thank everyone for for attending uh to this presentation and again thank jamie for uh attending not attending but presenting with me i think it was pretty helpful to to have you by my side today jamie and just provide a, a more internal view of all the affairs that we're presenting and i think you know uh it was it was some time well spent at least for me Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It was great being here, talking to you guys. Um, yeah, I look forward to the next community talk. Join the Discord now, so yeah, probably see me be active in, in yeah. the Discord. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So yeah, thanks everyone. Hope you you had a good time. Yeah, super interesting. Thank you so much for joining, Jamie. Thank you, Ariel, for the presentation.